Yes, good afternoon. We are going to do our second sermon in this series. Let me just share a testimony with you. This has been an extraordinary uh, week for me. Uh, uh, extraordinary as in very difficult. Uh, I took the opportunity to uh, start early uh, to prepare the sermon. I usually take two weeks to prepare, but this time I thought I would just set aside three weeks. But at the end of our uh, about two and a half week mark, I, I really thought I was in trouble because I... I really have no message. So, uh, and then I fell sick. I, so I sent out a first distress call to my mentees, to a few friends, and some CGs that I just pray for me because I'm coughing so bad. I got phlegm. I, could, I have no energy. And I can only work at night, right, after office hours. And I, I'm just too tired. So people prayed for me. And then I took leave on Thursday to prepare my message. Uh, I couldn't get anything out. Not, n- nothing really good. So I sent out a second distress call to Chi Ming uh, on Friday and said, that, well, um, I, I don't think I can do Second Timothy chapter 2. Uh, what I'll do is this. Since the topic is uh, endurance, I'll just preach endurance and make some little reference to Second Timothy. Uh, Pastor Chi Ming said that I may not do that. So <laughs> I, I went back. I, I really walked to office and I just, I just prayed to the Lord, God, you just have to come through for me. It is important I got to obey him. Um, so on Saturday, I came back to work on the sermon very, very early on Saturday. Well, I finished it <laughs> at 7.30 p.m. And I, got, I was very well yesterday. <laughs> so thank you for so much for your prayers. I know many people prayed for me. And I'm very, very grateful uh, to you. Now, because uh, this is downloaded to me uh, rather late, uh, you can expect a very simple sermon. I didn't say short sermon. It would be simple. <laughs> it's a simple sermon, all right? All right, let's just uh, do this. Uh, let, let's read this passage. I'll tell you why it is so difficult for me, all right? You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will be able, who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather he tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, the problem I have with this passage is I can't connect the dots. First, grace in Christ Jesus. You've got to pass on the baton to faithful witnesses. And then what has that got to do with the soldier 
and the athlete and the farmer and what has these three characters have uh, in common with each other and what has it got to do with verse 9, 10 and 11 and I didn't even show you 11, 12 and 13 because I have the hymn is it's so difficult to, to preach on so anyway let's start with the obvious well, uh, by way of background uh, just recapitulation, right? We know that this letter was written at the end of, well, towards the end of Paul's life. Uh, death was impending. Uh, but, you know, it was not just the end of Paul's life. This letter was written at the end of an apostolic era. Uh, so much was at stake because Paul had finished his part of the work that he received from Jesus Christ, he now had to pass on the gospel relay, the baton, to another generation of people. Uh, and if Timothy doesn't understand the importance of this mission and what is at stake and what it would cost him, there will be no gospel relay. Do you know how... You know how anguish this man, how anxious he is to make sure that this man, Timothy, and people in his generation just understand what it's all about. So the stewardship of the gospel will now be handed over and that is why this letter was written and that's why chapter 2 is written the way it is written. Right? Now let's, uh, next, after he said that, uh, well, uh, be strong in the grace of God and all that. And uh, he, he mentioned this. Uh, he, he, he mentioned the fourth stage of gospel handoff. Uh, in First Timothy, he said that Christ gave him the message. Of course, we know that it was by revelation, right? In Galatians, he said that he received the gospel by revelation. At the second stage, this we find in Second Timothy, he he wants to pass on this good deposit to Timothy. The good deposit, he said, that you have heard me, heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. And Timothy, he said, I want you to entrust this to faithful men, men who will be qualified also to teach others. So that's, that's four stage. And here we are, 2,000 years later, the good deposit is still here. You are listening to the Word of God. It's quite amazing, quite incredible. So the, this gospel relay is working. It's passing on. And I wonder, beyond, my generation will retire and we will, we will pass on. I wonder who will continue the gospel relay in your generation. After he said this, he also mentioned last, actually last week's uh, sermon in chapter 1, he said that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, 2 Timothy 1.15, including Pygelus, Hemogenes, and later on, in chapter 4, he said that Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. I, I went to do some 
research and just Google and just check about the, 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 the state of the church in Europe. This is what I found. In a, this is an article written in October 2016. So the statistics should be uh, pretty updated. That the Church of England, well, the Anglicans, uh, the Church of England uh, closes about 20 churches a year in England. And roughly about 200 Danish churches uh, are now deemed to be non-viable or unusable uh, or not used, right? The German church, but this is uh, the Roman Catholic Church in Germany, has in the last 10 years closed down 515 churches. In the Netherlands, out of 1,600 Roman Catholic churches, two-thirds will be out of commission in, in a decade. And out of the, uh, of the Protestant church in Holland, 700 are expected to be closed within four years. And so there were some commentaries that, well, this is not all because uh, you know, of dwindling um, uh, Christian population. It's also because we are unable to uh, raise priests. We, we couldn't recruit priests. But whatever it is, you know, I think that these numbers do show something, right? It shows that the church can die off. And I was just wondering, what about us? I, had, at lunchtime, had a word with a sister, and he was just lamenting that her children have so little time, uh, meaning that because the, the school load and the workload is so heavy, and because there is internet, and because there's handphone, and there's WhatsApp, and there are messages, and the emails, and all that, they, they have no time, no time even for the parents, let alone time to read books. And as a result, uh, there is very almost zero Bible reading or Bible study. And as a result, on Sunday, don't, they don't feel very engaged. And it's because they don't feel very engaged and they are not in, in care group, they, are, they just don't have the passion. They, they come, but they don't really have the passion for, for church things. Brothers uh, and sisters, I'm telling you this because we could be just one generation away from what is happening in the church in England, where churches are closed every year. It can happen. Uh, it happens all the time, every year. The point uh, is of the race, the Christian race, is to finish it. First uh, Corinthians 9.24, Paul said, do you not know that in a race all runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And then in Philippians 4.14, he said, I press on towards the goal, the goal of winning the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The point of the race is to finish it, uh, not just to be involved in part of it. I want to say this at the beginning of my sermon that, uh, you know, 
Of course, times are very different now compared to uh, the time when I was growing up. You know, about what, what happens when I was growing up. Uh, you know, uh, we had, of course, television. You know, but there were not so many channels and there were not a lot of interesting programs. We, we don't watch a lot of television, at least not me. We, uh, I didn't have the internet and we didn't have the handphone. I realized that reflecting back, uh, that I really had a lot of time. And a lot of time means that we had a lot of time to meet people. We really spent a lot of time preparing Bible study. We went for prayer meeting. We went for fellowship. I remember having a lot of time to do all these things. Things are different now. And I'll tell you what is Satan's strategy. Satan will hinder the runners and halt the race. And he does it in two ways. He will deceive our minds and he will steal our hearts. And I want to read for you Second Corinthians 11, verse 2 and 3. I'm, Paul said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And this is what Satan seeks to do, to deceive our minds and to steal our hearts. It's happening in every generation. It's happening all the time, which is why I think uh, every, ch- every church is at risk. It, it can happen to us too. All right, so having said all this about the gospel relay, he, he had a message for Timothy on how is to, uh, to do this well in this gospel relay. Oh, no, so sorry. sorry. I, I, wanted to, I want to put up this slide because um, I want to, to show you that one of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons people drop out and people give up, I think is, is because of weariness. You know what is weariness? Weariness is it's not physical tiredness. Uh, it's a tiredness inside. You know, and there is a weariness equation, which I, I, I hope it will be, uh, you know, you have to illustrate what I mean. Uh, you, you will be weary when all you know you should do, you do. And not only that, you put your best effort in what you do. And you're prepared to do it over a long period of time. And what is the result? The result is that no result or it's not good enough. Now, if this thing happens, one day you will grow weary. So, what I mean is this. Uh, just, I'll give you an illustration of uh, relationship. Right? We can grow weary in relationship. Uh, a married couple, uh, you know, there are some cracks in the marriage. So, uh, one party puts in painful sacrifice and they make a lot of adjustment to accommodate the other pastor, uh, the other uh, partner. And, and he does his best, and he does it over a long time, but the wife is not responding. It's, it's not working. So after a period of time, he just grows. Ah, what's the point? He come for marriage enrichment class. Ah, it's as if he will help. I pray for you. No need to pray. As if it will help. He won't respond. It's no use. Weary. So because the weariness equation 
it's, it's, it works like this. You see. Uh, it, can, it can also be people with health issues, right? So uh, they, are not, they are not doing well physically, but they have received a lot of education on how to, to improve, and the doctors are given some advice, nutritionists are given some advice, friends have helped them in many ways. So all that they know they should do, they have done. And they, they are very diligent to keep to the regime of dieting and everything and the medication. And they have done it over a long time. It's no change. It's still as bad. And then they go very sien. This is called weariness. There's a tiredness that's inside. Weariness can happen to Christians too. When you, you are going through a trial and then you get a lot of uh, Bible study, counseling, and uh, pastors are just teaching you this is what you should do, this is what the Bible teaches. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And you do your best. I will pray. I will attend prayer meeting. I will continue to go for separate meeting. I will commit to the Lord. I will fast. I will pray. I will go for whatever. Over a long time. And then, any results? Still the same one. Right? In fact, this was, what, this was exactly what happened to one of my friends. I've got a friend whom I led to Christ many years ago. And he had a lot of problems at work. And she was, he was very distressed because uh, the employers were giving, uh, was giving a lot of pressure and at home he was facing stress too. There was, there was contention at home and there was pressure at work. So uh, what happened was that he came because I advised him, you must be faithful, you just come, you let people pray for you. He did, that. He, he did everything I told him to do. And then there would be some relief, but it was very short term. And then, there will be a new challenge and then he will be plunged into another round of problems. So it went like that. So after some time, he grew really weary and nowadays when I speak to him, he speaks with a, with a philosophical and Edwin, all religion are the same. Lah. Yeah. This is called weariness. It can happen to Christians too. Right? And you... you I, I, I try to pray for weary people. That I cannot pray for you. No need, no need. No, no need. Maybe God is not pleased with me. Maybe there's no such thing as a God. There's no use. What's the point? So, weary. I'm just saying that this is, could be one of the reasons why we fall out. Alright? I want to go to the, the text now. Now, let me tell you why endurance is important. Uh, the dictionary meaning of endurance is this. Uh, endurance is the ability or strength to continue to last, especially despite fatigue, stress, or other adverse conditions. Endurance is important because it is a fact of life that there will be pains, disappointments, difficulties, problems, perplexities, setbacks, stress, limitations, unreasonable expectation, trial, injustice, unfairness, rejection, loss, failure, disaster, disease, illness, accidents, misunderstanding. The list just goes on. It's a fact of life. And we have to deal with all these 
every stage of our lives. So we teach then our children to be strong, to endure some hardship. And uh, the more important something is to you, the more you are prepared to endure. Right? So I'll just give you some, uh, just an example. So uh, you, many of you are students and, or parents of students, so you know what, uh, what I mean when I, I share this example. Your mission and goal is to complete the education. The education is important and you, you don't want to drop out, right? And because the goal is to complete your education, you will endure the process. You don't just quit because, uh, you know, you, you don't like your classmates or because your lecturer is boring or the subject is just not to your liking. No, you, 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 just, you just stay on and you, the idea is to finish it. And uh, uh, haven't you endured a lot since primary one until your A-levels, when you finally got your A-levels, and finally you can, you, go, you can pick the course of your choice. But in that 12 years, didn't you endure a lot of nonsense from your fellow classmates, your teachers, or from the, the system? You have. And parents too, because your children's education is so important, you are prepared to endure the hardship. And if your kid is not smart, you will you will quit your job to tutor him. And if, if that's not good enough, you will get somebody better to give him special attention. If that's not good enough, you'll take him out of regular school and put him in a, in a different school. If that's not good enough, then a, a private school. If that's not good enough, you will immigrate somewhere where the system in that country is more suited to your kids. Endurance. The more important something is to you, the more you are prepared to endure. And so now, you understand why Paul is now writing the letter the way he is writing, right? The theme of suffering and endurance features in all of Paul's letters so many times. But in 2 Timothy alone, this, le- this book that we are studying, it is mentioned no less than 10 times. So it is a theme. It is a, a major theme of this letter. Join with me in suffering, Paul said to Timothy. And then he goes on to talk about three characters. Now, this is when I have a bit of a problem. Huh? How has this passing of the baton has to do with these three groups of people and how are they related? So just read. The middle section is, uh, I just took it up from the Bible. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather he tries to please his commanding officer and anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. I can only squeeze a bit of juice on the right-hand side. And those of you who, who uh, have been to the SAF and you have done some soldiering, you know that soldiering requires us to be disciplined. We, we really act as one, one unit, one section, one platoon, one company. And we are trained to be unquestioning and to be totally obedient. 
you know, fresh out of school, I was totally not prepared for army because I was not prepared for the nonsensical things I was subjected to, like just running over there, touch the tree, come back, running over here, do this, and go up, change to number three, come down, PT kid, go up, to, to, uh, number four. And I, I, but anyway, we, we just did it. See, the idea is this, Edwin, don't fail. Don't fail. You will not be out of course. You just have to endure it. And we endure it and we pass. Anyway, the thing about soldiering is this, we have to listen well and we have to respond quickly. Good soldiers display single-hearted focus and wholehearted devotion. And I put there, the qualities of a soldier must be devotion and loyalty. How about an athlete? You know, a, a competition is a very serious thing for serious athletes. Uh, um, not, not recreational athletes, uh, those who play once in a month. I'm, I'm talking about athletes, right? And they they have a totally different value system. And they will do uh, inhuman things like wake up at 3 a.m. to go to the pool by 4, to train for 2 hours, then they go to school, and then after school immediately hit the, the pool and, and things like that, right? So it is it's actually very abnormal, but they have a, a different value system. Uh, they are prepared to sacrifice leisure, sleep, food. They are totally committed to a very disciplined lifestyle. And that includes what they eat, when they train, how they train. And you just look at Joseph Schooling and you, and you know what I mean, right? Serious athlete. So I put there on the right-hand side, the qualities will be discipline and focus. And then farmer. Now, that's a bit difficult because none of us uh, are farmers. But anyway, I just know that farmers can't be lazy because I know that they need to do weeding and watering and, and things like that. I mean, they could, I, I, I know that they wake up very early in the morning while the sun is not up so that they can do as much work as possible and, and all that. So I put that, well, hardworking, diligent, patient. I think Ken, it's about there. Now, my problem is this. My problem is this. What has soldier, athlete, and farmer have in common? Say that, well, it's hardship. But lawyers are so hardship, right? No, well, no, my point is this. Everybody suffers hardship. You students also suffer hardship. Teachers also suffer hardship. Cannot be hardship, right? He, why did he pick this, this tree, right? So I... I spend a lot of time here, which is why I, was, I had to send out the second distress call. All right, how are these three characters related? Could Paul be saying that these qualities are needed to develop endurance? Then I have a problem. Besides streaming, who can fulfill this? Um, besides streaming and Joanne, sorry. Who can fulfill this list? <laughs> So, I don't think so. I don't think. I think there's something more. So, let's look at the next verse, right? This is uh, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. Look at verse 7. Reflect on what I'm saying, Paul said, for the Lord will give you insight into this. I, I just sense that Paul is suggesting that there is something else we are to look for. 
Paul seems to be conveying a subtle message through these three characters. So that got me thinking, which is, I would suggest, I'm not saying that I'm right, I want to suggest it to you, please then, you also reflect on these things. I read through these four verses and picked up from each character one key thought, one idea, something that jumps out. For the soldier, no one, no one, uh, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in an affair, but rather he pleases commanding officer. That stood up. I put it on the right-hand side. Anyone who competes in athletes does not receive victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. That stood out for me. I put it on the right side. And a hard-working farmer should be the first to receive the harvest. Reward on the harvest. I think these are the key words. Just stay with me. Because with these key words on the right-hand side, I can connect the dots. I'll tell you how these dots are connected, why this is relevant. For for now, I'll just... The CEO is... The commanding officer is CEO, okay? Now... We have, all of us, we have a CEO in our lives, or, or many CEOs. We, we may have many commanding officers, but I'll tell you what the commanding officer will do. The commanding officer in your life will dictate how you live your life. The CEO, each CEO has its own philosophy. The CEO will, by your decisions and your actions, I will know who your CEO is. And your actions and decisions will reveal who is in charge. Okay, I don't want you to be distracted. Let me just give you an example. Okay. Uh, I uh, heard a testimony from a pastor that uh, when he was an undergraduate, he was quite obsessed with uh, his looks and physique. And he said that he went to the gym six days a week. That means every day after class, he would be in the gym. And he only rests on one day. And he spent hours in the gym. He was very disciplined with training. He was very interested in nutrition and diet. Uh, the rule book is uh, Muscle and Fitness Magazine, Flex Magazine, uh, nutrition books, any articles you can read about, about these things. And so, you see, uh, the commanding officer is the one who dictates how he lived. He said that he loved it because he loved the look, uh, the fit look. He, he could feel the strength. The, he can feel the fitness. He loved the feeling. He loved the look. But he was obsessed. And he was just thinking... That, Okay, because the commanding officer is, is uh, the looks, the body, the I, the me. Uh, uh, he, he, he will tell you where to look for, what to look for, uh, and, 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 and to follow the regime if you want to be, to be fit, to, to look good. And the reward, of course, there's a reward, isn't it? That, that he, he really looked good in the mirror, and he really felt strength, and he loved it. According to the rules, who and what you are committed to will determine how you play the game. 
you know, um, if your CO is money, it can be. If your CO is money, then the CO will have a certain set of philosophy, certain values. And how will you play the game? Well, you, you, you will probably be attending investment seminars, you will read books, you will seek advice, and you will go by the rules of prudent investment because you want to be successful. And you will reap, you will reap the rewards of wealth. And very likely, you will also reap the reward of greed. Or I shouldn't say reward, but you will reap the harvest could be greed. So these this are just two examples. You see, the commanding officer will dictate how you live. You will live by his rules, but you will be guaranteed a certain outcome. Now, Paul is saying this, Timothy, I'm leaving now. The gospel relay has now reached a point where I really have to hand over to you. You are going to run. You've got to understand the importance of this mission. And I want you to suffer like I have. Remember, there is a commanding officer and this commanding officer will set the rules. And depending on how you live your life and what rules you abide by, you will reap the harvest. That is the consequence of it. And I want you to think about this and reflect carefully. And it has to be, in other words, it has to be Jesus Christ. The CO has to be Jesus Christ because so many people who do not have Jesus Christ as the CO have already deserted me. So the next verse after he said that you reflect on this, he revealed, he introduced his commanding officer. This is Paul's commanding officer. 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Now note the, the order of the, the words, right? There is a change of order. Uh, in 10 times in this letter, Jesus, Paul referred Jesus as Christ Jesus. Only in verse 8 is Jesus Christ. And I tell you, there is a significance. Paul reversed it to Jesus Christ because uh, he was pointing to the humanity of our Lord. Very important. This Jesus is not an angel or a God far away. This Jesus is a, was a man just like us. He was the first runner. He also had... God as his commanding officer, he fully followed the rules of the Father. He lived by the ways of the Father. He has completed the, the course. He has finished the race. And look at the result now. It's all worth it. I have followed in the same way. And Timothy, you make sure you don't, you don't miss us out. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, and and in just further on, he's, he he mentioned this. All right, 
Philippians 2, 8 and 11. And being found appearance as a man, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 to 11, he humbled himself, becoming obedient. Obedient to suffering? No. Obedient to death. Even death on the cross. And therefore, Christ, God exalted Christ to the highest place and gave him a name above every name and every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And in Hebrews chapter 12, 3, consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you do not grow weary. It's very important. Look at this verse carefully. You know, the people who grow weary has a certain expectations of God. You know, God, I do my part, you do yours. I am faithful in praying. You will be good in responding, in giving. If I serve, you will reward. And there's a bit of like give and take, right? And when it doesn't happen, then they are very disillusioned. What is this God about? I mean, like this friend of mine, which I spoke about, who is no longer in the faith, it doesn't make sense. And I want a faith that makes sense, that is explainable. But these verses show that Jesus didn't live like that. He served the Father fully. He carried out the mission of the Father completely and He died. Even death on the cross. But you see, this is not the point. The point is to finish. And when you have finished, He was exalted to the highest place. That is the point. But many people lose the point and drop out the race in between. In between the process, they drop out. And Paul you know how, how Paul suffered, right? How many times he was shipwrecked and he went without food and he was flogged and he was beaten, he was in prison. He followed the example of, of Jesus. No question, no doubts. The process that Jesus went through is a process I am prepared to go through if only that I will finish the race and not be disqualified. That was what Paul said. And Timothy, I want you to have this kind of value. You are, we are in a totally different regime with Jesus Christ as commanding officer, living by his rules. It's a totally different regime. Right? Paul's commanding officer, he said this very, without doubt, no? Jesus, really, he, he served Christ as the CEO. Galatians 1.10, he said, if I was still trying to please people, then I would not be a servant of Christ. I want to please Christ only, in other words. Philippians 1, 20, 21, according to my earnest expectation, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or even by death. Philippians 3, 10, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power that raised Him from the dead. I want to share in His suffering. I want a part of that. If this is part of the process that I want it, and I want to be like him in his death. Philippians 3.8 I think that all things are now worth nothing compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. I've lost all things. This will allow me to have Christ. Who is the CEO? So, so clear, right? The CEO is Christ. 
and whatever Jesus Christ, the man, has gone through, I'm prepared. Whatever sacrifices you have made, I am prepared. So that I will walk exactly the same path and run the same course and finish the course just as they did. Remember Jesus Christ, the first runner in the race, the first runner to finish the race. And I think that because uh, Jesus Christ is the personal, the, the, the forerunner, the CEO, uh, Paul is, was also fully identified with the mission of Christ. What's the mission of Christ? I think the mission of Christ was always to fulfill uh, the, the mission given by the Father to make Him known to the ends of the earth, to, of the earth so that the Father would be glorified. So actually, Paul was just taking off from where um, you know, Jesus left off. 2 Timothy uh, 2, 8 and 9. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, Romans 15, 20, where nowhere Christ has already been made known. And there's an amazing verse here. Romans 15, 19, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And just a few verses down, he said that there is no more place for me to work in these regions. Amazing! He has really finished the work that God has given him to do. You know, uh, it is so important now that at the end of his apostolic era, that now Timothy is going to take on the baton and run the race, the next lap of the race, that Timothy understand this message. I think the message to Timothy is, Timothy, make Jesus your commanding officer. Run the race as Christ did. Endure the suffering as he had. Do the Father's will just as Jesus had fully carried it out. Complete the task that is now entrusted to you. Join me in suffering, Timothy. Join me in suffering. In 2 Timothy 4, 5, later on, but keep your heads in all situations. Endure hardship. Do your work as an evangelist. Discharge all your duties in the ministries. Now, I'm coming to the end of my sermon. It's a very simple sermon. Uh, how, how, do we, how do we overcome weariness? I think we have to overcome weariness by looking at Jesus, right? So he, he talked about the farmer, uh, sorry, the commanding officer, the athlete, and then the farmer, and then he said that, consider Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary. It is part of the process. Don't be surprised. Don't be puzzled. And when you have, you endure this, this part in blue, the process which requires endurance, then you can look forward to the part just below. The 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, the Hebrews 10, 35 and the Hebrews 10, 36. If we die with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign as Jesus is now reigning. We will. But you've got to endure the part in blue. 
this process is like that. It's God's will. Hebrews 35, do not throw away your confidence. You will be richly rewarded. In verse 36, you need to persevere so that you will receive what is promised. I want to give you a story. I want to give you two stories of people who understood what it means to have Jesus as a commanding officer, to live by His rules, to endure as He did endure, and to look forward to the harvest that is promised. This is a story of endurance, you know. Uh, uh, there is Luciana uh, State Penitentiary, it's also called Angora, right? This, this uh, prison, this, this prison is the largest in the United States of America now. They have 6,300 uh, prisoners. And uh, the thing about this prison is that it's the worst also, meaning that they have the highest number of prisoners who are serving life terms. Some, some people serve two life terms of 99, two 99 years. So practically, they will just die there. But 74% of these people uh, have an, uh, will serve an average of 88 years in prison. In other words, they are just condemned there. And this is a very old prison. And the uh, situation there is so bad because people have no hope that uh, they just don't have enough wardens to police to, uh, to, to look after the security of the prison. So what they do is this. They empower the prisoners to protect one another. So everybody, the prisoners can be armed, you know, I mean, the little knife, pen knife or whatever, and so that you fear me and I'm afraid of you, I keep out of your way and I don't touch you, and out of fear, we keep out of each other's way, but of course, there, there are a lot of deaths, a lot of injuries, and a lot of barriers, uh, but, but they allow that because there's no other way to run the prison. So in 1995, there was a new warden, um, the head of uh, this prison posted there, and his name is called Bill Kane. He, he was posted there in 1995. His predecessor told him, uh, Kane, you won't last more than five years. And then another uh, colleague said that, well, I tell you why you wouldn't last more than five years, because there are demons all over the place. And Cain's reply was that, with God's help, I will run them off. I will run the demons off with God's help. Actually, Cain was, uh, there is actually a book written about this, right? He's a devout Christian. And on the first day of his leadership, of, of taking over the, the prison, he, he established uh, to, to run the prison on a principle that is biblical, to treat everyone with respect. Ah, treat prisoners with respect. Uh, you know, he shocked people, he shocked the image, inmates by eating with them in the dining hall, just eating with them, and of course ate the same food. Then he realized how horrible the food was and he immediately ordered that the quality of the food must be improved. And then 
people start to realize that he became a walking demonstration of the golden rule to do to others what you would have them do to you, Matthew 7, uh, 12. He put himself in the place of one of these inmates who have made a really big mistake in life and they are sentenced to Angola. How would he want to be treated if he were one of the inmates? And does he want to be treated like a dangerous animal or as a human being, of course? The answer was obvious. I want to be treated like a human being and so as a human being, I will treat people. So he trained his own staff about uh, 1,600 staff, to stop insulting the inmates and stop calling them names. He opened up opportunities for people to do studies and to, uh, to have achievements. He set up uh, some kind of uh, the, the rodeo, you know, you write uh, the rodeo, and then he invited, uh, once a year there will be a rodeo competition and uh, prizes and all that. It was a big event because everybody will come and watch the rodeo. He taught them to read, he taught them to write, but he, he knew that if, if there has to be moral rehabilitation, otherwise you will just make them uh, clever uh, prisoners. So uh, he, over time, everybody was taught to do the right things before God. As a result, the number of men living in cells decreased, and more and more people live in dormitories rather than in cells. And although there were so many convicted rapists and murderers and people with very serious offences, people were well behaved because now they had hope. When a man faced the death row and it was, you know, he had to walk down uh, to, to, uh, to be injected, it was his little uh, injection, he would eat with the man for his last meal, allow him to ask any questions, to spend time with him. And he will explain the whole process to the man. He will hold the man down to where the room is. He will pray with the man and commit him to the Lord. He will do that for everybody on death row. And after that, he will give them a proper barrier because there will be a workshop where they will make coffins. In the past, they just... There were so many deaths and, and I mean, these are scum of the earth. They are not worth money. So they get cardboard, uh, cardboard coffins and if it rains, then the body will just drop out and then they just kick the body and just cover it in mud. It was just it was terrible. They, they dealt with bodies. But he wanted uh, oak uh, coffins, beautiful polish in his workshop because there's a workshop in the prison. They will be put in the carriage uh, pulled by two handsome horses. The pallbearers will be dressed they will be given a proper burial. There will be, the, the grave will be marked. And so one of, the, well, one of the prison workers said that, you know, it is, it's one thing to say that inmates are human. It's another thing to treat them that way. Warden Cain taught me how to do that. So, you know, uh, during his tenure, Guards carried no weapons. Inmates belonged to 30 different clubs. They were encouraged to form public speaking uh, uh, clubs, hobbies or whatever. They, they had clubs. Uh, education was in full swing. There were five different congregations worshipping uh, in the weekends and the weekdays uh, on prison compound. Worship services were conducted by the inmates. They also preached. Baptisms were frequent. At least 1,000 inmates 
uh, call themselves devout Christians, inmates who served two terms of 99 years had their eyes filled with hope. There is purpose, there's joy. Some of the worship teams and the preaching teams were allowed to accept bookings from outside where they will go to uh, teach and minister in churches and in conferences with only one unnamed God. And then, you know, the remark from the author is that, you know, sometimes God, God sometimes has a role to play for those whom we don't choose or those whom we wouldn't choose. When Jesus is the commanding officer, I think that we will do things by his rules and the, re- the rewards and the results will be, I think, pretty amazing. Now this, I, I, I'm telling the story as a story of endurance because, because really it is. This is a hardship posting. You know, you, you want to get out. You, you don't want to post it there and you want to get out as quickly as possible. But, but if this is the work assigned to me, if the baton is passed to me, then I know who I report to is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ, you are the Lord, then I will live by your rules and I'll do things your way. And if I have to endure, I will endure. And he served 21 years. He only uh, retired in 2016. And there are books written about this place. I, I want to inspire you <laughs> that when Jesus Christ is the commanding officer, there is a regime change. Not everything will be explainable or easy to understand. And Jesus is not promising that it will be easy. In fact, he already told us in advance that uh, in, in 2 Timothy, in, in this very same book, in chapter 3, he told Timothy, in fact, Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm not hiding anything from you. It's going to be difficult. Expect it. But just as Jesus Christ has gone through this race and finished it and is now richly rewarded in heaven by the Father's side, look forward to that. But look to Jesus. He's the first runner. It's, it's just like, you know, uh, you know, the national coach, the national swimming coach addressing our national swimmers. Remember Joseph's schooling? Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's possible. He's the first of our swimmer. Remember how much he suffered. I tell you, it is worth it. He's there now. His name is engraved here. And it is possible. It's, so Paul is, is trying to inspire Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ. He's finished. And the point is to finish, not just to be to participate in a year and say, oh, I, I participated before. I was once in the national squad, although I was never chosen, but I was once there. That's not it. Finish the race. And that is the point. I want to give you a second example, and quickly I'll end. And this is actually Caleb. You know, I just thought about Caleb. Caleb stayed strong-minded for God for 40 years, four decades. Was it because he was faithless like the rest? Of course not. He was with Joshua, one of the faithfuls. 
But he never, he never grew despondent. He didn't grow cynical. He was not cranky, despondent, bitter. He just trudged along with, with the others in the desert. And he suffered along with the others because he had this one-track mind for the Lord, not wavering, no compromise, totally unbending. He just waited. If he has, I've got to wait for 40 years, I'll wait. I'll wait and I will not lose sight of what is promised to me. And actually, God did promise him. In Deuteronomy 136, God did promise him. He, he spoke through Moses for uh, Caleb and said, Accept Caleb, son of Japanese. He will see it and I will give him and his descendants the land and that he sets his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And 40 years later, Joshua 14, 10 to 12, and then just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, uh, Caleb said, I am 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You see, who is the commanding officer of Caleb? So clear, right? It's, 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 the, it's God. Right? And Suffering, I don't mind. It's part, of the, it's part of the package. What I want is, I want the reward. I will go through this. It is part of the process. I will endure it. If only I will receive what is promised. So this is our challenge today. Look to the commander. I, this verse show us that it is part of the process that you will be disappointed. You will not get what you want. Actually, actually, I think you all understand what I'm talking about. For those of you who have taken piano lessons, you just listen to your piano teacher and you just do all the things you don't like, like practicing your scales because it's part of musicianship. You follow the rules. It's part of the process. And in swimming, you follow the coach, which includes time in the gym, hours to swim, the type of exercise you need to go through, everything that is part of the process. The Lord trains the one He loves, Hebrews 12. He corrects everyone He accepts as His son. Put up with hard times. God uses them to train you. He's treating you as his sons. What children are not trained by his parents? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 2.10 It is fitting that God should make Jesus, even Jesus, the author of our salvation, perfect through the same process, the same regime. So, brothers and sisters, uh, this really is my message, the summary 
and then we will end with a song. Please think about this. If Jesus is your commanding officer, then please submit to his ways. Accept it that pain and suffering is part of the process. The point, the main point is to finish the course and to complete the race. And he will give you the grace when we live by his rules. Don't lose perspective. Take a long view, long-term view like Caleb. The end is good and we must stay on course. I ask the musicians to come forward. As I lead you uh, in prayer and the musicians will just minister to us in songs as we uh, just reflect a little bit on what is said today. Come, let's pray. To Jesus, our forerunner, the one who ran first and who showed us how to run, Jesus, we look to you as our example. And not just as for an example, we look to you for strength, for grace, grace to finish the race. Father, we want to have the spirit of Caleb to be stubbornly loyal to you. Help us, God, to take a long-term view, to to look beyond the circumstances, to help us to, to see through the pain and the problem and then to see you. Today's message on endurance is needed. Maybe not today, but we know, Lord, that we will we will certainly need this spirit of endurance in the days ahead. How hard it is to persevere when we lose sight of you. God, we look to you. Help us never to lose sight of you. Today we make a commitment, a recommitment to make you the commanding officer of our lives, to live by your rules, to do things according to your ways, to accept the process, the regime of the kingdom of of God. We look to you as our lifelong example. Help us to guard our hearts so that we will not grow weary and lose hope. Thank you, God, for the grace that is available to us. We are not helpless. We always have you. We always have you. And we thank you, God, for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.